0: This is a UC Public Policy Channel program from the Goldman School of Public Policy at UC Berkeley. Visit us at www.uctv.tv public-policy for more discussion on solutions for the good of all. Hello, I'm David Beckman. This is the first in a series of webcasts on poverty, communities of faith, and the politics of 2021. Uh, they're based on a course that I've been teaching in Berkeley, uh, jointly sponsored by the Goldman School of Public Policy and the Church Divinity School of the Pacific. They're about 30 minutes apiece. They're enough to last uh, once a week between now and the Fourth of July. I envision people watching them on Sundays starting today and and going to Independence Day, sort of from faith to politics, from the Easter season to the 4th of July. Because of the experience of recent decades, we know that we can reduce poverty. We can dramatically reduce poverty in this country and also around the world. We're coming out of the pandemic and it is possible to accelerate, to get back on track toward toward the end of, of uh, virtual end of material misery. There are debates about uh, what are the best strategies. Those are important debates. But I think the more critical problem is organizing the political will to do what we know could work or what we think could work, um, you know, it's the, it, what's missing is the organized give a damn. And, and uh, so I think um, that also points to problems in the values and spiritualities of our country. How is it that we can tolerate much more widespread hunger among children in our own communities? And in our interdependent world, how can we tolerate um near starvation in many countries around the world when it really isn't necessary. So I, uh, what this course is, what this webinar webcast series is about is uh, moving from basic ethics, ethics that are shared by uh, almost all the faith traditions in some way to political will to the progress against poverty that's possible. I'm really encouraged that in 2021, in fact, uh, one of the main topics of debate, of public discussion, is poverty and social injustice. Uh, President Biden, his first legislation, uh, the American Rescue Act, is doing more for poor and near poor people than any... Legislation since the Great Depression. And the White House is now working on build back better legislation. The idea of that is uh, to invest in, uh, make public investments in things that will make our economy more just and sustainable. Most importantly, make it possible for more families to be able to earn a living I, I'm disappointed that uh, so far the Republicans in Congress are voting as a block against everything Biden. Uh, I'm, you know what I'd like to see is that the two parties would work together with the minority party um, offering to vote for the bill in the end. If uh, if they get their way on some issues, I think you get better legislation that way. But that's not what's happening. Instead, it's uh, voting as a block to make this president unsuccessful. And they're doing that, I think, uh, even some uh, Republicans who I, I think could, could see that the value in what Biden's trying to do. I think they're doing it because um, Trumpist attitudes are very, still very strong among some of their most enthusiastic voters uh, on, uh, on poverty issues issues that are important to vulnerable people generally. Uh, President Trump's policies were harsh. I don't think there's any getting around that. Uh, But the truth is that most white Christians voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020. That's also part of the politics that we're living in in 2021. I think the most important thing to know about poverty is that we can dramatically reduce it. If you think you can't, well then, you know, you help somebody out, you give $100 to a food bank. It's important to give $100 to the food bank, but we can do more. Um, If we work together, use our political process, we can establish systems that make it possible for people to take care of themselves uh i Let me start with uh a, a, a story that starts re- way back at the beginning of my professional career. <clears throat> my first first job uh, was uh, in Northwest Bangladesh. My wife and I lived in a town called Tuarga, and um, I spent a lot of time uh both days and nights in a little settlement called Gurria, about a hundred families. And, um, I stayed with the primary school teacher. His name is Mr. Body. His wife was, uh, had gone to stay with her mom and dad, uh, during the time she was getting ready to have their first baby. And so Mr. Body was able to welcome me into his one room house. So I slept there with him at night and, uh, I spent a lot of time hanging out with Mr. Bhadi and his friends. Um, I'm not sure I did too much to reduce poverty in Bangladesh during those months, but I certainly learned a lot about uh, poverty and about people there. Uh, I got a chance to go back to uh, Bangladesh about 10 years ago. I went back to Takargao. I went to Berea. And amazingly, I was able to find uh, Mr. Body. It was a wonderful reunion. He uh, held my hand, took me back to his home. <clears throat> Within five minutes, there were uh, several other neighbors who came over to, to see me. We used to uh, meet together after sundown. There was no electricity. So we would uh, talk for a few hours about life. My Bengali was good enough then that I could... Uh, at least participates, Uh, just a wonderful experience. And what most struck me was how much less poor Goria is than it was when I lived there. Uh, Bangladesh generally has made dramatic progress. The roads are better, the schools are better. There are more foods in the market, fruits and vegetables. The the children uh, look healthier. Mr. Boddy used to have a thatched house. He's got a concrete house. He was really eager to show me uh, that the gully where the mosquitoes used to breed has been filled in. The road from Gurria to Takargao is now tarmac. It used to be impassable in the rainy months. And... uh, almost impassable the rest of the time, but now there's a tarmac road, so <clears throat> the farmers can get their jute out to market. They sell that in the world market, um, and they can bring uh, more things are available to them in Gorea, including police services. It was a problem then that uh, the police didn't get out in the country very much, so there'd be an isolated house and if a bunch of thugs would come at night with machetes and, uh, rob you, there really wasn't much you could do. Now there's good police coverage, uh, in places like Korea. The, the thing that, um, most surprised me is that, uh, women are more assertive than they were when I lived there. <clears throat> when, uh, when I was, uh, Living in Bangladesh, I almost never saw a woman. They were in the house. They, were, they couldn't come out. They certainly wouldn't talk to a man, not a foreign man. <clears throat> but on this, uh, this follow-up trip to uh, Bangladesh, I talked with uh, quite a few women, mostly through interpreters, but low-income women would explain what they were doing to make their lives better. And when we went to see the mayor, the, <clears throat> the head of the panchayat, in Takargao. It turned out she's a woman. <laughs> so so it, it just was wonderful to see what's happened there. And those kinds of stories are can be found in thousands of villages in many developing countries. Uh, I'd like to share with you my favorite bar graph. You can see the bar graph uh, that shows The dramatic progress that's made, that's happened in the world. Just uh, dramatic progress. These are World Bank numbers. I think they're um, fairly reliable numbers on absolute poverty. Absolute poverty is about the equivalent of $2 a day. Uh, At this level of income, you don't eat enough, you don't eat what you should, you don't eat good quality food. Uh, children die in large numbers. It is, uh, it is a severe kind of uh, existence for people. And back in 1990, the World Bank estimates that there were 2 billion people in, uh, in absolute poverty. By uh, 2019, they estimate <clears throat> that that was down to about uh, 600 million people. Just extraordinary change. You know, I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a preacher. <clears throat> so I, I look at those numbers uh, and I just think this, this, is, uh, this is an experience of God. <laughs> this is God moving in our time. It's something like the exodus, uh, great liberation, uh, but much, much bigger even than the exodus. You can also see the numbers for the United States. Uh, they show that our progress has not been as rapid. <clears throat> the first number is from 1967. That's a long time ago. <clears throat> um, and in fact, most of the progress in the US was uh, in all those years was made between 67 and the early about 1973. So during those years, uh, during the '60s, there was rapid economic growth, into the up, up until '73 '74, and then um, <clears throat> both uh, President Johnson and President Nixon uh, set up uh, what they together did was to set up the uh, social safety net programs for low-income Americans. Those programs have been in place, they've been improved over the years, uh, and they have they reduced poverty and have, have maintained it at a lower level for all those years. <clears throat> we haven't made as much progress as many other countries, and that's mainly because wages have been pretty much stagnant for all those years. But it's important to note that we have made progress. Uh, it's not impossible. And um, it shows us that we can, um, we can do more. I was served with Bread for the World for almost 30 years as president and recently retired. And um, it gives me a chance to think in a broader way about uh, how to achieve the mission of Bread for the World. Bread for the World is a Christian uh, advocacy movement to end hunger. Lots of churches, hundreds of thousands of people across the country are involved. Uh, importantly, some people are very involved. A, a smaller group of people are given a lot of time and thought. And together, uh, all those folks uh, contact their members of Congress on issues that are important to hungry and poor people. Uh, on the on the global issues. Uh, <clears throat> Going back a ways, um, when I started Bread for the World, uh, um, pretty much Bread for the World and some of the other church groups were uh, almost by ourselves in uh, advocacy for poor people around the world. A big turning point was the Jubilee debt relief campaign of uh, around the year 2000. Uh, Jubilee is a passage in Leviticus that calls for debt relief uh, once every 50 years. And so uh, there was a scattering of Christian people of all stripes around the world who uh, wanted a jubilee for low-income developing countries. Uh, They had accumulated impossible debts, crippling debts, uh, debts to the rich countries. So Mozambique, for example, was spending more money to pay interest. Just They couldn't pay down the principal just to pay interest on their debts to rich country governments than they were spending on health care for all their people. So the idea was a a jubilee. And and when we started, there was not one one member of Congress, not one member of the administration who uh, thought that was a, a timely idea. But we gradually uh, picked up steam and um, were able to attract uh, importantly, really important Republican leadership at the very beginning in Congress. Uh, And and, uh, so so that we won, we won big. Uh, Over the years after that, uh, the industrialized countries wrote off uh, a total of $100 billion in the debts of the poorest countries, of many of the poorest countries in the world. The program was focused on governments that uh, were managing their own affairs pretty well. And and then uh, the World Bank and the IMF um, managed it in a way that uh, encouraged governments to use this, this opportunity to invest in poverty reduction a lot of the governments of Africa used it to make primary school free for the first time, which meant that a whole generation of girls got to go to school with their brothers and learned how to read and write. Uh, we also uh, gathered uh, support as, the, as that movement moved. And uh, very importantly, Bono, the Irish rock star, came to the U.S. and helped us. Uh, He gave uh, tremendous, and he stayed involved in the politics of poverty, especially in the U.S. Um, And um, he gave us uh, just tremendous help. Uh, And then I think Mono helped to convince Bill Gates that investing in advocacy, advocacy on global health and poverty issues made sense. And so the Gates Foundation has uh, strengthened the capacity of advocacy groups uh, significantly. Uh, they created a number of, of new groups. Uh, to, to So the constituency for international aid is much, much stronger than it was. Uh, also, uh, George W. Bush turned out to be a really... Uh, really important president on Africa poverty policy issues. And uh, Barack Obama also expanded aid to Africa and other poor parts of the world. Uh, And through that whole process, uh, we also managed to make the aid programs more effective. Uh, The Faith groups did not do this all by ourselves at all. I think we were especially start, strong at the start of the, this, this acceleration, uh, but, um, but faith groups, Bread for the World and others were part of the process all the way through, every step of the way. Um, really, most of the credit goes to the to poor people around the world, hundreds of millions of people, families, that work really hard, really hard, to get uh, to make their lives better, lives for the, of their children better. Uh, many developing country governments um, really deserve a lot of credit. They, you know, I think Americans have a low view of of, um, of uh, governments in developing countries, but a lot of African governments uh, really did a good job and. Um, But it also helped that the US and the other high-income countries increased and improved their aid. Uh, And it helped to convince me that people of faith have an important role to play in the politics of poverty. Ironically, on the issues that affect uh, hungry and poor people here in the USA, We were always uh, almost always on the defensive, trying to protect the social safety net programs for low-income people that have been so effective in have been as has been have been more effective than anything else in reducing poverty. In 2010, uh, very conservative, the Tea Party people uh, won big in those elections. And they managed to convince almost all Republicans in both houses of Congress to to vote for deep, deep cuts in low-income programs. Every budget resolution that passed either House of Congress between 2011 and 2018 proposed to cut something like $2 trillion from programs like Medicaid and SNAP food assistance. Religious leaders of all stripes uh, rallied around and said, I was surprised that that conservative, liberal, Catholic, Protestant, evangelical, um, Jewish, Muslim, African-American churches, of course, there was really near consensus among leaders of church bodies and associated agencies that it wasn't right to make deep cuts in low-income programs. Of course, there are a lot of uh, religious people who uh, who went along with those programs. But, um, you know, the presiding bishops, the heads of denominations, people who... Uh, oversee Sunday schools and the worship life of uh, religious communities on a large scale, um, there was near consensus that uh, we should protect those programs. You know, we said, sure, we want fiscal discipline, but we don't think the poor people caused the deficit. And we want, we want these programs to work well. If something's not work well, we'll, we'll, help. we'll help to figure out how to make it work better or shift the money into another program that will work better. But we don't want to cut the programs. And I think uh, that United Stand uh, really helped. And then also the uh, uh, faith-grounded activists across the country also play a really, really important role. So these are people who understand that changing the world for God is part of their life. And and they make it their business to know the issues and to get to know people in the congressional offices, get to know staffers and their own member. (coughs) So um, they are very effective, uh, uh, often usually very much welcome in congressional offices because they're thoughtful and respectful and and they they are uh, outstanding lobbyists for uh, people in poverty. On these domestic issues, I don't wanna say at all that um, the faith communities uh, were the most important actors. Um, The Democratic Party resisted these cuts. Uh, lots of uh, groups, uh, um, other than the faith community, uh, were part of the, of the, uh, of the lobbying to stop those cuts. But what, <laughs> what's wonderful is that, uh, despite years of budget budget controversy and uh, several government shutdowns and all that. Um, In the end, Congress made no substantial cuts in low-income programs. You know, (laughs) they'd approve the budget, they'd move massive legislation, get close, and then repeatedly, you know, especially in the Senate, um, a handful of Republicans would vote with the Democrats. And uh, uh, so the actual cuts just didn't happen and now that same coalition is working uh, in a dramatically new context, not to just support whatever President Biden wants, you know, there are real issues there, <clears throat> but, um, but to support the direction of uh, helping the people and communities that have suffered the most during the pandemic and also changing, changing our, our economy in ways that will make it easier for people to make a living. On those issues, uh, we really are supportive. I'm pretty sure that most of you who are watching this webcast are yourselves leaders in this great cause. Otherwise, you wouldn't be watching. And um, my hope for these webcasts is that that they help us to achieve the great liberation from poverty that God's made possible in our time.